When Paul writes to the saints at Philippi, it is a letter written to some of his dearest friends, and it is a letter to a young local church that was birthed through the power of the gospel and is sustained by the power of the gospel and whose only hope for the future is found in the gospel. This is Philippians, and we are Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. You ever been duped before? Anybody got duped before? Do even know what that word means? I feel like that's a, that's a one way to say like tricked or uh, taken advantage of. I got duped once. Does anybody know what this is? I got a picture for you. Anybody know? Okay, so it is Michael Jordan, the goat. Does anybody know what's important about this one? This specific, it's a flare. I think it's 90 or 86 maybe. I don't even know. How old are we? Anyway, that's his rookie card. That's Michael Jordan's rookie card. So when I was a kid, that was worth some money. Not as much as it is, is now. Well, what was the Netflix documentary um, that, about them? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Last Dance. Ever since then, they say the, the cost uh, or the value of this rookie card has skyrocketed. In 2021, one in mint condition sold for $738,000. Okay, so it's a valuable piece of cardboard, a very valuable piece of cardboard. I, you used to be able to do this at the flea market, you could go to the baseball card shop and you could get a little baggie full of like random cards and it'd be like 10 bucks and you get the bag of cards. There's probably five bucks back then or whatever. So I would do that almost every time. I'd save up my allowance and I'd get the little thing. It'd have football cards and basketball cards and baseball cards in it, just a random mixture. And you're always hoping that, you know, you're going to strike it rich because the owner of the shop probably didn't look to see how valuable the cards were. He probably just truly randomly put them all in there. At least in my stupid mind, that's what I thought. So I bought one of those and I'm flipping through it when all of a sudden I see that. And I think it finally happened. It finally happened. I, got, I mean, it, the, the $5 has paid off until I turned it over and it clearly on the back said, reprint Michael Jordan's you know, rookie card. So about 10 seconds I got duped. Paul wants to make sure that the Philippian saints don't get duped by bogus religion. He wants to make sure that they know the difference between bogus religion and true religion. Bogus religion says, look what I can do. Bogus religion says, look what I can do. True religion says, look what Jesus did and is doing. Because Jesus is our only boast. That's the message of Philippians 3, 1 through 11, that Jesus is our only boast. And that should be comforting to our hearts today. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I know the word religion is, is sometimes, for some of us, already synonymous with bogus. Like we hear the word religion, like some people will say this, and I agree with the sentiment. Um, I don't believe in religion, I believe in a relationship with Jesus. And i 100% behind the sentiment of that statement. However, there is the use of the word religion 
false religion and true religion in the Word of God. So the authors of Scripture, in particular James, for instance, says true religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. There's, there's passages that, that delineate between what is fake religion and what is true religion. And so much of what we call fake religion is what we mean when we say something like, I don't believe in religion, I believe in a relationship. We're talking about that fake, um, outward-only type of uh, just my personal actions are what are going to save me type of religious practice. Paul calls that bogus religion. In verses 1 and 2, he points this out to the church at, at Philippi. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, what he's saying in this verse in our language is, I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but to repeat these things is actually good for you. It's good for your soul and it's no trouble for me. But what are these things? That's the question that we should ask when we read these verses. Because there's some things that he's repeated in this letter. One of them's rejoice. He's actually mentioned that six times. He'll mention it again two more times, that we should rejoice in the Lord. It's most certainly a theme of this book. That we have joy through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Not just like happy, happy, joy, joy, like gumdrops and lollipops, but deep-rooted joy in our souls that can sustain us, even in the midst of opposition, through pain and suffering and loss. That's certainly a theme of this, of this uh, letter. But he could also be referring to, and this is what I think he is, when he says these things, he's referring to what he's about to say in verse 2. Which he doesn't mince words. Paul gets after it in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. It's a warning. It's an interesting warning, but what it is at its basic level is him warning against a group that in other letters he would call the Judaizers. There were people who were ethnic Jews. They came up um, practicing the Jewish religion very intently, intentionally practicing the Jewish religion. And they went around to a lot of the churches that Paul had seen planted, and they would come along behind Paul and say, yeah, Paul's message has some truth in it. Jesus is the way. Jesus was the Messiah. Faith in Jesus can make you right with God, but it's not enough. You need to adopt practicing the Sabbath day the way that the ancient Jews practiced Sabbath. You need to to adopt the dietary restrictions of the ancient Jews, and you need to adopt the act of circumcision for the males. That was required, they said. To be made right with God, to be part of God's family, the Gentiles themselves had to adopt those practices. They're called Judaizers in other places. He has said this over and over and over again in all of his other letters. He has likely said this in person to the church at Philippi multiple times on all of his trips there, and he's going to mention it again in chapter 4. I believe this is the broken record. These things. 
He's like, I know this is something I always bring up. I always tell you to watch out for bogus religion. I always tell you to watch out in particular for those who would come in and say you have to adopt all these additional practices to be made right with God. But it's good for you that I warn you about this again. And it's no trouble for me. Because I love you saints at Philippi. And I know that bogus religion can rot a church like that. Because bogus religion says, look what I can do. And any time worse, I always think of Stuart. Anybody mad TV? No. Look what I can do, right? No? Anybody? No one? Okay. Some of you, I think, saw that. The rest of you are like, what is wrong with this guy? Um, that's fine. Go Google that. Uh, Stuart, right? That's his name. Mad TV. Look what I can do. You'll go down a rabbit hole real quick with that. Bogus religion says, look what I can do. And when we're looking at what we can do, we're not looking at Jesus. And that is the problem with bogus religion. More importantly, what what the Judaizers are saying is, look what you've not done. They're actually coming in and getting in people's faces and saying, you're not enough. You don't have what it takes. You're not right with God and undermining the people of God's security in their faith in Jesus. Paul knows the damage that this can do. He doesn't want them to be a voice among the people. Now, there is no evidence that there's a strong faction of of Judaizers, if you will, in the church at Philippi. Or he probably would have harped on it a little bit more than he does. He's about to move on from it very quickly. But just know, and Paul knows this too, that that threat can arise in a church at any time. That we go from saying, Jesus is our only focus to, what can I get out of this? What can this church do for me? Or, or what, a, what, how can I earn favor with God? And so he calls them dogs, scavengers, not valued in that society. See, we struggle with that because we love our dogs we sometimes dress them up. We, right? Like we, we care about these animals. We, and I know I'm not the only one, we spent way too much money to get our dog's leg fixed when he, and I told him multiple times that if he chased cars, he'd get hit by one. But he, did he listen to me? No, he did not. And then when he got hit by a car, who had to pay for it? Not him, me, right? I had to pay for it. So we, but we love our dogs. They didn't. In this society, dogs were just scavengers, not valued by us. He calls them evildoers. That's the one thing they would have prided themselves on. They were righteous. They had kept the law. And he says, no, they're evildoers. And then he calls them, and this is beautiful, especially if you haven't eaten yet. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. What he does there in Greek is he takes the word for circumcision. Don't shoot the messenger. Takes the Greek word for circumcision, which is a two-part word. One has the idea of cut, and the other has to do around. That's what you hope your circumcision is. It's cutting around. And instead he uses a word, same half, that says cut to pieces. That's in your Bible. Mutilators of the flesh. Because what they're going to come in preaching is, you have to be circumcised. And he's saying, worthless. They're just, they're all about this circumcision mantra, they're all about the diets, they're all about, but they don't care about you. And and so he says, watch out for bogus religion that's focused on man. Be careful with this. It's not that obvious for us, 
But maybe it's happened in two ways as we've gone through the book of Philippians here in this room, in my own heart. There's two sides. We see all of the, this is what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom. We see those lists. These are the marks of what it is to be a Christian. And there's two ways we respond. One, as I've said before, is Bill Murray and Groundhog's Day saying, me, 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 also me. Yeah, I'm pretty close on this one. And we, we get puffed up. Man, the church sure is lucky to have me, right? The kingdom of God sure is lucky to have me. As I read through Philippians, it's just like looking in a mirror. That's me. I'm that person. I serve so much. Where's my gift basket? I should get a gift basket too. I mean, right? Or the opposite, like the complete opposite end of the spectrum where we say, I'm nobody. I'm worthless. I can't live up to the standards. I stink. But the commonality between those two things is it puts self at the center. We should be looking to Jesus. The greatest weapon against bogus religion is true religion. So Paul spells out the essence of true religion, what it is not and what it is. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision. He says that is now a spiritual term. It no longer has to do with a physical ritual of the Jewish people. In fact, he'll say other words, that we have had our hearts circumcised, made new, through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, by grace through faith. That's a weird way. Like if you went around and somebody says, uh, you know, what are your religious beliefs? And you said, I'm of the circumcision. That's going to be really weird these days. But they knew exactly what he was talking about. He meant we are the children of God. Regardless of practice or or, uh, regardless of of exterior things, regardless of diet or circumcision or uh, Sabbath practices, we are the children of God who worship by the Spirit of God. Our ability even to sing these songs today and truly mean them is a gift from God through the Holy Spirit. So he is the one doing the work, not us. And glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, my life is all about glory to Jesus. It is empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit and I put zero confidence in myself. No boasting in self. You say what? You don't know me, though. I've got a great resume. I've done a lot for the kingdom of God. What about me? Paul answers you immediately. And he sounds cocky. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And listen to this little tirade he goes on. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. It's Apostle Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day. What he means is, my parents meant business when it came to walking in righteousness according to the law of God. That's the way it was supposed to be done, and that's the way it was done. I am of the people of Israel. Not only that, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I know my roots. I am pure-blooded. I know where I come from. I am honored from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, they gave me a title. You think you're good at obeying the law? My title was Pharisee. They only gave that to the ones who obeyed the law to the nth degree. That's me. I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Remember my story? You think you love the Jewish faith? I was willing to kill for it. That's how much I love it. You talk about zealous. I had zeal. As to righteousness under the law, 
blameless. But here's his conclusion. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's resume was elite. If anyone had a reason to boast, it was him. If anyone had a reason for self-confidence, it was him. But he says, I put zero confidence in the flesh. None whatsoever. My boast is Jesus Christ. By the way, if you read between the lines, which someone like me has to do, because I don't have a resume like Paul. I got a resume like a bum. But that's good news for me, too, because if even the most elite resume doesn't measure up and give someone reason to boast, then a knucklehead like me is fine, too. My resume could never be as good as Paul's, but even if it could be, it wouldn't be good enough. That's good news for me. I've got to live up to some standard. My boast is in Jesus. That's where Paul turns everyone's attention to in verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul's everything. His reputation, his lineage, his accomplishments, his everything is nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus. I'm not always there. I don't know if you're there where you can look at all that you have, all that you've accomplished, everything you have tangibly and intangibly, and say in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, these things are secondary. That's where Paul's at. His everything is nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus. And here's the key, verse 9. In order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the gospel. This is the source of true religion. It wasn't his following of the law that was his source of true religion. It wasn't his dietary habits that got him true religion. It wasn't any of that that got him that was the source of true religion. Instead, it was faith and the finished work of Jesus on the cross for salvation. By grace through faith. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone is the story of the gospel. You see, you and I, ever since Adam and Eve, right, got their smoothie off the tree that they were told not to, sin has been the story for every single human ever born. You and me. Born that way. And that sin separates us from eternal intimacy with God. We cannot be sons and daughters of God, but instead we are enemies of God, right? Destined to be separated from Him eternally in punishment. God so loved the world, thank God, that He gave His only Son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin, lives 33-odd years, no sin, completely righteous, God with skin on, fully God, fully man, dies on the cross, nails in His hands and His feet, blood spills out in real life, historically, and and supernaturally, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, washes away all of our sin. That's the message. 
the gospel. You know what's absent from that? My boasting. You know what's absent from that? Your boasting. You know what's present in that? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He does the work. He dies the death. He receives the punishment. And he is raised in power from the dead. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ plus nothing and you will be saved. Jesus. Only Jesus. Paul says that's why he's my only boast. And so here's the goal of true religion then. If true religion says look what Jesus did and is doing, then the goal of true religion is verse 10, that I may know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I love that sentence because I can imagine the readers, as he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. There's a surge of like, yeah, amen. But then as he goes down the list, he's like becoming like him in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. They're kind of like, oh, wait, that, that got bad, fat, right? Like that kind of went downhill, but that's the reality. To live is Christ, to die is gain. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God through Jesus. That means that in resurrection power and in the pain of suffering, to know Jesus is enough. I don't say that glibly. I know some of your suffering. I don't know it all, but I know some of it. I've wept over some of your suffering. But even in the suffering, knowing Jesus is worth it all. Paul says that's the goal of true religion, that we may know him. This is the way. Yoked up with Jesus. Yoked up with Jesus, you can go through the fire and not be burned. Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I am... I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, you shall not be over, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Not the absence of floodwaters, not the absence of fire, but the perseverance through it by the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You can know him because he is with you in the fire. You can know him because he is with you in the flood. You can know him because he is with you on the mountaintop and he is with you in the valley. And that is what we're called to as the people of God, to know Jesus, to know so what are you waiting for, right? Get yoked. That's what you get some t-shirts to say, get yoked. Everybody think it's a gym. It's Mercy Village gym. Get yoked. I love this scene, though, from John chapter 6 at the end. This is what I mean. Oh, that this would be our hearts. There's a scene in John chapter 6 where all these followers of Jesus start deserting him in droves, and the 12 are still there with him, and and after this, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Oh, that that would be our hearts. That we would look around at every voice in this world and say, nope, one voice for me. 
one person for me, Jesus, because he has the way of eternal life. He can go with me through the fire. He can go with me through the flood. I want to know him because there is life nowhere else. Paul closes with a similar sentiment, verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So that's it. True religion doesn't say, look at me. It says, look at Jesus. And it has the goal of knowing Jesus. So I want to really practically talk about what I mean by that. There's nothing else than this. Do you know Jesus? I'm talking to Christians right now. What I mean is, are you really seeking to know him? To be in his presence? To be explicit, I mean, are you seeking, satisfied, and shaped by the presence of Jesus? To be with him. Are you seeking the presence of Jesus? Yes, through scripture and prayer and community. But additionally, in all the beauty and all the brutal things that happen in this life. Listen, we, I put it in all caps in my outline. Me too. We oftentimes are too busy. Not just on our calendars. I'm not saying that. We're too busy in our minds and in our hearts, right? We're always reaching for something. We're always scrolling through something. We're always fixing something, building something, rushing at something, planning something. We, me, our minds are busy. Our hearts are busy. So often, very, very busy. We're rarely sitting. Like, when's the last time you were bored? like truly bored, and did nothing to counteract it. <laughs> there you go. Eight years old. So I, same here. I'd say, Mom, I'm bored. She'd say, well, here's a chore you can do. All good and perfect things come down from on high. Hear, hear me. Stop for a second. Catch your breath. Seriously. You feel your lungs? You know what? Your lungs just expanded with air. You get that? I'm serious. I know I sound kind of like, did he smoke weed before he came up here? No, I did not. Here's what I mean. When's the last time you lingered on something? The last time you savored something? The last time you didn't try to numb the pain, but instead listened to it? When's the last time you tried to listen for the voice of Jesus? My fear for us is that we live in a world where Jesus is constantly, never ceasing to whisper, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying it right now to you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Know me, walk with me, yoke up with me, be close to me. He's saying it in the rustle of the wind. Literally, he is. He's saying it in the poetry of the Psalms. He's saying it in the laughter of your children. He's saying it in the sweat of your work. He's saying it in the New Testament letters from the 
apostles. He's saying it in quiet moments of prayer. He's saying it in misty mountain sunrises in the great state of West Virginia. He's saying it in the taste of your favorite foods, your favorite drinks. He's saying it in the life of Jesus expressed in the Gospels. He's saying it in ancient prayers, ancient creeds. He's saying it in warm conversations with your friends and family. He's even saying it in your pain and your lack and your loss. And I fear that we're just sometimes too busy to hear him. We don't linger to listen for his voice. Jesus whispering, come to me. Are you seeking him? I'm not telling you to revolutionize your life and totally transform your schedule, but maybe the next time you're sitting at a red light, instead of reaching for your phone, you can look up and see how God's painted the the horizon completely different as the leaves are changing color, right? Maybe that's not your thing. I don't know what your thing is, but engage those things. Chew that steak a little longer next time. Receive it as a gift from God. Hear Jesus speaking in that. Come to me. I am present with you. And be satisfied with him. You're not satisfied with Jesus today? Welcome to the team. I'm not always satisfied with him either. But that's not his problem. It's mine. He is able to fulfill every longing of your soul. Know him. When I fail to be satisfied with Jesus because I don't really know him, I'm not seeking him and I don't know him. Know him, be satisfied with him and be shaped by him. As you seek and linger in his presence and are satisfied by his presence, are you shaped by his presence? Is your anxiety losing a little bit of its power? I'm not asking are you instantly cured from your anxiety. I'm not an idiot. But do you feel it kind of slipping away? Little bits of it? Is your anger swelling up less frequently in the presence of Jesus? Is your hunger for the word growing ever so slightly? You desire his word. You desire prayer a little bit more, a little bit more. Your bitterness is biting with a little less pain than it used to. Your convictions about what matters most are changing. You're realigning your priorities. That's what I mean. When I say know him, that's what I mean. Seek him, be satisfied by him, be shaped by him, by his presence. Jesus. Another way to think about it would be, what are you boasting in that isn't Jesus? What is it that you use to to numb yourself or satisfy yourself? What are you seeking and, and shaped by that isn't Jesus? Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. If you're not a Christian, trust Jesus today. John 14, 6 says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is salvation and no one else but Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be saved. I would love to talk to you about what that means. If you are a Christian, it starts with Jesus and it never stops being about Jesus. He is our only boast. Bogus religion says, look what I can do. But true religion says, look what Jesus did and is doing because Jesus is our only boast. So seek him. Seek his presence and be shaped by him. There is no other source of satisfaction. Father, may those words fall on my heart and on the hearts of your people. Make us like Jesus. Make us love Jesus. Make us satisfied by Jesus.
in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.